should you consider developing and using intellectual property as a vital part of your investment strategy? Learn the many points of leverage that are available. Hi, this is John Cronin. Welcome back to Vent Anything. In this episode, we'll show you how to unleash the power of intellectual property with getting an investment as an early stage company. We'll discover how patents and trade secrets and enable publications can dramatically enhance your market position and help to skyrocket your company's valuation. We'll learn the art of leveraging IP to enhance the company's value to show investors how you can improve your competitive advantage, reduce risks, and enhance your brand. Inventions keep the world spinning. From fire in the wheel to today's high tech, inventions power change. Turn your inventions into reality. Learn how to get your ideas to market. This is Invent Anything with John Cronin. So today there'll be six topics. The first is just an introduction of what intellectual property is and how it's leveraged. The second is IP and its use in business development and expansion of business. The third topic to get into is how intellectual property can be used as a financial strategy and risk management. In the fourth topic, we'll talk about how to enhance the company's valuation and its market strategy. In the fifth topic, we'll talk about IP that can be used as a catalyst to help further investment. And finally, in topic six, we'll talk about how IP can help and be a real impact on mergers and acquisitions. Now, every time we give a podcast, we kind of think about who the audience would really be, you know, focused on this. So one of the audience participants could be a CEO who's trying to get their company ready for investment. Another part of the audience could be companies looking for a way to enhance their value. That's This is for you. It could be the board of a company that uh, are trying to understand how they can raise the value of their company and advise their CEO. It could actually be for investors. When I decided to do this podcast, it was really that I was spending a lot of time with different investors of early stage companies and listening to them. And and their points of view of why they thought intellectual property was valuable for their companies. So this is for investors, whether they're already in a deal or maybe deciding on a deal. And then finally, there's an audience for those investors that might be thinking, you know, beyond the investment and how you can enhance the revenue streams of the company as they go. This is John Cronin, Invent Anything. And coming up, we're going to discover how intellectual property can revolutionize the business strategy. We're going to learn the secrets of patents, trade secrets, and enable publications. We're going to learn how to protect innovations, and we're going to learn how IP can be a pivotal factor in navigating competitive advantage, monetization, risk mitigation, and brand. Let's see how we can multiply our company's value and secure your future using intellectual property. So let's just jump right into it in topic number one, introduction. First point I'd like to make is that intellectual property can be used in business strategy and really enhance the business strategy. And we're talking about things like patents and trade secrets and enable publications as the three sort of legs of the stool for intellectual property. Let me go into each one of those quickly and what they do. So patents are real, one of the strong pillars of intellectual property. Basically, when you get a patent, you have exclusive rights for up to 20 years to stop others from making, using, and selling. It's crucial in a lot of different areas. Uh, pharmaceuticals, and all sorts of technology, hardware, software, biotech, pharma. And so basically, really, in any kind of technology space, intellectual property through patents is really important. A second area is trade secrets. Now, trade secrets like the formula for Coca-Cola, you never get to know the trade secrets of a company because they're always held secret, but they can be leveraged by keeping things secret. Nobody will know how you're doing what you're doing. 
most companies fail to really develop their trade secrets, developing a trade secret registry or a trade secret process or educating employees. So the more that you do that, the more you'll have a better trade secret program and the more you'll be able to protect trade secrets. I haven't met a company yet in the thousands I've worked with that doesn't have trade secrets. So it's important that you take patents as important, but trade secrets also as important. And you can use them kind of as a hybrid where you patent a portion and trade secret a portion. Finally, there's enabled publications. Boy, that sounds like a very strange word. Some people might know this as defensive publications, although publications can be used offensively or defensively. So we call them enabled publications. But basically, enabled publications are inventions that you would publish, could be anonymously, whereby when you publish it, nobody else can get a patent. So it's really a patentable invention to publish to stop others from getting the patent. Because many times you have a lot of inventions and some you want to patent, but some are so incremental, you, you might not want to spend the money. But you certainly don't want somebody else to get a patent on it. So you would publish it. One of the things about intellectual properties and introduction is it has a huge impact on valuation. Companies like Ion Q, which had a $2 billion IPO valuation driven by their IP, or Unilab had a $2 billion uh, you know, valuation because of their, their revenues. Facebook basically had a multiple billion dollar valuation for Oculus when it bought it. Uh, these are basically intellectual property, small companies that got huge valuations. But you know, also in M&A, when you're uh, acquiring a company or a company acquires you, you got to look at the intellectual property. And many times M&As would assign a value, usually it's two or three X revenue, but maybe the, the value could be three, five, 10, 20 X revenue. And that's usually because of intellectual property. So intellectual property is a huge impact in companies' values. One of the things about intellectual property is that you can generate revenues through patents, through licensing. You know, most early stage companies that have patents don't have a good licensing program. So they leave this sort of income stream off the table. So uh, I, I would suggest that if you have patents, you immediately take a look at doing licensing. But nonetheless, patents can be used to generate a revenue stream independent of the product. One of the things about trade secrets is that they provide a long-term value beyond the patents. I mean, trade secrets have lasted in some companies 75 hundreds of years as long as you can keep it secret. So one of the things is that if you take a look at what would be trade secrets, it could be algorithms, AI, it could be process technology, it, it could be all sorts of different things. So trade secrets really provide long-term leverage. On enable publications, they really have a lot of leverage as well because they're very cheap to publish. They can be done anonymously, which means you don't give away your strategy, but then nobody else can get a patent. So a combination of like patenting the key stuff trade secret a portion of it so no one can really figure it out but you have protection through patents and then publishing around it is an effective strategy uh economic strategy as well to stop others from patenting on top of you finally through this patent trade secrets and enable publications you can have an integrated strategy which basically puts it all together uh and there are many reasons to do this that the ip strategy can become you know directed towards competitors or directed towards improving a market through selling directed towards monetization, directed towards value in an M&A. So whatever the goals of the company is, you can develop an IP strategy around it using patents, trade secrets, and enable publications. So since intellectual property is so multifaceted, uh, it would make sense to really look at this. You know, when we work with investors, uh, some investors don't really care about intellectual property. They've never been in a deal where they've seen the leverage of it. Some investors we work with they just won't do a deal without intellectual property. So it's kind of like a range. So if, if intellectual property is going to be important to you as an investor or to you as a company trying to find an investor, you need to find those investors that believe in intellectual property. 
So that kind of puts it sort of together as the value of intellectual property for investors. So in topic number two, we want to talk about IP being used in both business development and expansion. Now, I talked a little bit earlier about how you can expand your revenue through intellectual property. Uh, I talked about licensing, but I have a podcast that you might want to look at, Six Ways of Making Money with Intellectual Property. Obviously, you could sell it, it could be litigated, uh, you can license it, but you can use it for transactions, you can use it to enhance the stock value, you can use it uh, as a brand, uh, a multiplier. So there's a lot of ways to directly make money off of intellectual property. So you should take a look at that podcast. But the first thing about intellectual property for business expansion, for business development expansion is you can generate revenue through it. A second thing is there is value in IP development. Uh, basically, if you look at most companies today, 80% of the value of a company is its intangibles. And half of those intangibles is going to be intellectual property. So basically a huge percentage of the company, no matter which company you are, is your intellectual property. Assuming you always got some trade secrets, maybe you don't have patents. Assuming you have innovations that are new, that are giving you the differentiation. That's where the value of the company is. So it's important really to understand how IP is uh, valuable and why you should develop IP. One of the things that companies do to expand their business or to improve their market is to have the IP overlap their products. This is like one of the most unique things about intellectual property and one of the reasons why it was built is that you can use intellectual property to protect your product. So if you get a product and you can patent some features on your product, then you can stop somebody else from making, using or selling your product. Now, that might require litigation, which generally is very costly, but you can actually, by using your patents and labeling it on your product, you wouldn't believe how many companies wouldn't copy you because of that. We mentioned IP and monetization as another area, uh, and this is where you can generate revenue through third parties. You can add revenue streams to your income. So if you have an income statement and a, and a balance sheet, as most companies do, consider like your income statement being your revenues by month or by quarter, but then add a line that has to do with intellectual property and find a way to get that intellectual property to be part of the revenue stream through licensing or selling, et cetera. One of the things about IP development in terms of raising the value of a company is to think about developing what we'll call paper patents paper patents, or some people would call it forward patenting. We talked about patents protecting your product. So your product goes out the door and you patent features on it. But there are other products you may want to be developing down the road. And therefore, it might make sense to patent about what those products are going to be. So you're not in that market yet, but you will be, but you own the patents well in advance. So that allows you to discuss all sorts of things about these future products and still own it, not worry about people copying you. So paper patent development goes along with enhancing the monetization of, of, uh, of patents, but also goes along with raising value of the company. Another area is leveraging IP and collaborations. Uh, IP rights give you the ability to uh, do a deal. In the deal, the IP is used as leverage. Uh, I had a, a client recently tell me how they brought into a deal where they were trying to negotiate four or five binder books of their patents because they had a number of them and they laid them out on the table. And all through the negotiation, the, the other side is sort of thumbing through these patents. And it created this psychological imprint that the company had a very powerful intellectual property footprint. One of the things that IP can do is help you spin out companies. Uh, a lot of times you can't get to the entire market. So you could take IP portions of it and take that IP and put it into another company to start another company 
it's a great way for original investors to get two bites of the apple, one the original company and one the spin-out because they own part of the spin-out because it's using the IP of the first company. So another way to raise the IP development is to, and to get value for it is through spin-outs. The reverse is true as well, spin-ins. Uh, there's been a number of deals that we've seen that we've helped work on where the company wants to acquire another company and wants to sort of bring a company in because of its intellectual property. So they're building their business by acquiring companies. They have their own intellectual property, but they're also going out to find companies that have intellectual property that spin in. And by adding spin-ins with intellectual property, the spin-in raises the value, but the spin-in that has intellectual property further raises the value. We talked about risk mitigation. Well, miss, uh, IP allows you to do a lot of things. Uh, one of the things it might do is to stop a competitor from copying you. That's certainly risk mitigation. Another thing is that because you have intellectual property, you could appear to be a giant you know, when you're in negotiations because intellectual properties can control markets. So you're not Microsoft or Apple, but you could appear to be a large company in negotiation. The last one is using IP for, as a tool for brand development. And by this, I mean, when you get patents, there's a lot of recognition that goes along with it. I just talked to a client recently that was talking about the fact uh, that the intellectual property of their competitors has been used in their market quite a bit as a brand tool. And he he, he knows that he's behind the, the curve on this and wants to get that same bang for the buck through patents. And he says, I don't think anybody's ever read the patents, John. I, I don't know, you know what those patents are about myself, but they certainly get a lot of brand recognition because they quote invented stuff. So think about IP as a, a tool to enhance brand. Well, coming up, we're going to learn how IP can leverage uh, your company for collateral and a loan and how to enhance loan terms. We're going to talk about how IP can give you access to capital. We're going to talk about how valuation of intellectual property goes along with raising the value through loans or, or, or other sources of capital. And what we want to do is talk about how these IP-backed loans is really great for cash flow in some companies uh, when they really need it. And beneath that, we'll delve into how IP can help the company's valuation in terms of using this cash and raising the valuation to improve their stance in the market. Topic number three, IP and financial strategy and risk management. So here we're going to talk about financial strategies and risk management, and they're intertwined. So the first thing to talk about is uh, that intellectual property is an asset, and you can basically create a loan with someone, a bank or investors that want to loan you money at certain rates, whereby the collateral of the loan is the intellectual property, meaning that if for some reason you don't pay the loan back, then your the collateral is to get the patents that you put. Now, one of the things about this is that the, the loan terms, how long the loan is, what the percentage rate is, what the penalties are, that's generally something you can negotiate. But when you have intellectual property, it's such a good backstop as an asset in many cases that you can do a really good job on getting better terms. So one thing is you might be able to go get a business loan uh, for whatever you're doing. And after you kind of get the scope of that, you can throw in that you'll put the IP to collateralize it and then the term will get better. So I know companies that are developing intellectual property that may not be as valuable for them for all sorts of reasons strategically, maybe it covers part of their product or whatever, but they're really doing it because they want to hedge so they can get loans. Uh, so you might think about intellectual property that way. One of the things about intellectual property and financial strategy and risk management is 
that IP gives you access to capital. Now, we mentioned the loan, but it also it, you know, allows you many times to get the investment itself on equity. So sometimes investors will loan you money and they'll do a deal with you, but the investor will say, I will loan you this money uh, and I want you to get to certain revenues. But if you don't get to those revenues, I want the patents. So in other words, investors are seeing intellectual property as a sweetener to their deal. So whatever used to be the deal an investor would do, they now can gleamingly look at your intellectual property and try to add that on their side. So you could see that by adding intellectual property to your company, you have a lot more financial engineering you could do to get the money in, which lowers your risk. Now, we talked about IP helping with you know, getting more loans and things like that. But what comes along with this is that you need to be able to do intellectual property valuations. And you really need expertise to do that. How much are your patents worth and to who? And so we have a whole, we have 50 different services that we use at IP Capital. And one of them is IP valuation. Uh, and we do a number of those a month. And I could tell you that we do valuations for a whole host of reasons, but one is these asset-based loans. And so when we look at evaluations regarding a loan, it's a different point of view than looking at valuations versus, you know, an M&A or things like that. Because in, in a loan, what you're trying to do is to tell the the company, the entity that loans you money, is if they get the patents, they can turn it around and sell it. Uh, versus they don't want to become a licensing company, right? So the, you, the way you value patents for a loan, for instance, might be just clearly on the sale price versus a licensing price, et cetera. One of the interesting things about intellectual property that I've seen, and this is from creative investors, is they use intellectual property as the basis for equity. So I've seen them where they can, investors are looking at the stock price that they're going to pay to invest in the company's equity. But I've seen the CEO try to raise the valuation, meaning they want the same money for less stock because they got intellectual property. So that's a great set off to valuation. On the other hand, I have seen investors who are concerned about the investment they're going to make. And right at the end of that discussion, they'll say, all right, we give up. We will, we will invest this money at this valuation. But if certain milestones don't happen, we get the patents. So this can be used on either side, which is a wonderful thing. If you understand it, you can use it in your deals. We talked about loans, but one of the things about loans is you get cash. Now, when you loan money, you can get cash all at once. You can get cash in tranches, et cetera. So what we've seen in these IP back loans is that many times because the IP is the collateral, um, the loan might be tranched in faster. In other words, instead of getting so much per milestone, you might get more money per milestone or more money right up front. So patents, many way, is a great way to help with your cash flow when you're doing loans. One of the things about intellectual property is it's really an investment uh, security, if you sort of think about it, because it's a liquidatable asset. So if companies fail, the investors at least can go to the IP to try to liquidate it somehow. Now, in some markets, the IP could be worth a lot of money, even more than the company. In some, in some markets, the IP could be worth a lot less than the company if it's going to be liquidated. So you have to kind of look at that, and that's why valuation is important. But in most industries, you know, investors would look at the investment security through intellectual property through liquidation. One of the things about risk management is that patents means that the company has IP expertise to get the patents, right? So it shows the investors right away that if they have patents and the company's knowledgeable about intellectual property, which is an asset class, which as we mentioned, is 40% of the value of a company. 
So when an investor is looking at companies, intellectual property becomes something that they become interested in for a number of reasons. You have intellectual property, but it shows that the company is knowledgeable about intellectual property. Recently, a study has been shown that companies that are invested by VCs, uh, companies are 10 times more likely to get a VC investment uh, if the company has patents. That's a pretty good uh, hedge for a raise, isn't it? Uh, one of the things about IP is that it, it's a wonderful way to diversify the assets of the company. So if you sort of think about it, you can leverage IP in a number of ways. You know, you could license it, sell it. You can use it for gross margins to enhance your margins because you have patents and nobody else does. So you should be able to get more money for your products. Um, you can use it to uh, change uh, directions in your product and have patents that read on the new product directions so that you're securing different directions of your product mix. You can use it to help a brand making PR press releases. We just did one for a company. We created a press release and some new patent, which is great news into the market and great news for investors. So there's a lot of diversification that can be done with intellectual property. And finally, intellectual property is really an indicator of financial stability. Companies with strong IP are seen as more stable uh, because they're more attractive to investors, because they have more uh, bifurcation of their, their asset class, right? They have patents and they have money in the bank and they have a balance sheet. So basically you could see that intellectual property, which can be 40% of the company's value, provides a unique way to add financial stability to the company. Without patents, you don't, you, you lose the ability to do so many things that a company can raise money for, that a company could get money for, that a company could leverage off on a deal. Let's jump into topic number four. IP now is going to be used Given what we just talked about financially and risk mitigation, we're now going to talk about IP enhancing the company's valuation directly and how that directly plugs into market strategies. So this is about IP enhancing the company's valuation directly uh, and then using that to drive markets. So we talked about valuation briefly, but uh, it's it's valuation is a critical thing to do if you have IP. I mean, if you have IP, patents, trade secrets, enable publications, that's great. You have it. The next question would be, well, how much is it worth? Well, who, who's who's going to tell you what it's worth? Many times the CEO or the CFO might try to round number it, you know, kind of take a swag at what they think it is. Uh, but a lot of times IP sits on the books of many companies and it's never monetized and it's never valued, which to me is kind of a shame because if you have IP, you should use it as a revenue stream, you know, developing licensing expertise. The ROI there is very clear. We have a number of podcasts on that you can look at. But the critical role is to do the valuation. An example is, and I'll go back to something that uh, I worked on a number of years ago. I was invited to talk at a conference, and the conference was uh, sponsored by a very large investment group. And they had decided to invest in microcaps. These are companies that are public but they're worth about $500 million or less in market value, micro caps. So they found the top 100 micro caps that they invited to this big week-long conference. And the goal was to invite other investors in. And they wanted me to be you know, one of the keynote speakers. And the reason that they wanted me to be a, no, a keynote speaker is they had recognized that 40% of those 100 companies 
had very strong intellectual properties. And uh, our, our company's name was one of the names that came up as a consultancy to help them get those patents. So clearly, 40% uh, of 100 top microcap companies, as rated by this investment bank, basically was seen as intellectual property based. So I talked about, you know, you're more likely to get patents. You're more likely to get investment if you have patents. But after you get the patents and you're a company, uh, people are more likely to, retail investors are more likely to invest in you. You have a PR release on some new patent and people get excited. One of the things about enhancing the company's valuation and, and therefore the, the market strategy is that innovation and competitive advantage, advantage comes together with patents, meaning that if you have the patents on your innovation, that gives you a great competitive advantage. One of the things about patents is that they're allowed by patent examiners who really have no dog in the fight re regarding your company. They don't know your company from anybody. They're just looking at your patents and they're independent of you. So, and they're supposed to be really good at what they do. And they, their job is to supply a lot of prior art to show why you can't get patents. So the patent examiner is a negative, you know, independent using data to show why you can't get patents. And if you can get patents allowed, uh, then that's got to be a sign of innovation because you have an independent body who's trying to say you're not innovative, saying you're innovative. It's a great case. Uh, when we work on writing inventions up, we have a fairly significant business running, writing up lots of inventions. We have about an 80, 85% success rate in getting patents issued because of the way we do it. But the nice thing is that getting these patents issued then through examiners uh, is a great badge of innovation for companies. One of the things about patents uh, that you know gives us a, a a real good way to enhance companies' value and have have it to overlap on market strategies is that patents can be in different countries. So it could be the United States where your business is. It could be the United States and the UK because you're thinking of expanding there. We have business in two different places. I just talked to a company that's a global business. There's an early stage company, but their software is sold in many different countries. And having an intellectual property footprint in different countries you know, leverages the company's IP value even more, right? Because a small company having IP in a different country, you get the patent in the different country and put some business in that different country, but the investment in that country probably won't be the same as the, say, the investment in the U.S., but now you're leveraging, right, another country on your game board for value and market strategy through intellectual property. And by the way, if you're ever going to be acquired in an M&A as an early-stage company, your intellectual property strategy globally should sort of mirror the acquirer. Because if you're only filing in, say, the United States, and the companies that are acquiring you is a global company, and their biggest business is in the U.S. and in Canada and, you know, the U.K. or something, or in China, then it's better to have intellectual property in the same places as the acquirer. So you can see how intellectual property helps with a global strategy. Another thing about intellectual property is it's very clear that it helps with uh, growth indication. In other words, getting one patent five years ago is something, but getting a patent every six months or nine months or a year or two shows the growth in intellectual property. One of the things that's fascinating to me is that intellectual property is actually a milestone for growth in a company. So I've had investors literally invest in a Series B. This morning I was on the phone with a client where the Series B investor made the milestone that they get patents because the Series B investor recognized that the next step for this company is an M&A. And the Series B investor recognized and the deals he had done was that the M&A value goes way up if there's patents. So now the IP getting patents 
was a deliverable milestone that the investor wanted. So I got to talk to this company this morning, planning on how to get them 15 to 20 patents in the next year. Think about that. IP is the deliverable. One of the things is that in, in understanding how to get the valuation up is to have more exclusivity in the market. There's no better way of doing that than patents because it gives you a governmental right in that country to stop others from making, using, and selling. And so market exclusivity, by definition, if someone says, how can you get market exclusivity? If you don't have patents, it's going to be a pretty hard answer to come up with. We mentioned brand earlier, but brand enhancement is, is a way to tout the innovation of the company. But there's another thing. Um, people that buy products are more likely to buy products if they can feel the innovation in the commercial of the ads. And so patents are related to that. So imagine you have, you're on Amazon and you want to buy, oh, I don't know, a 3D printer. And you look at, at all the variations of the 3D printers. But one of the companies that's selling 3D printers, basically in the first you know, list of things that it is, it says it's patent protected. Interesting. Because the other ones that look the same don't have that. And they're in foreign countries. So if you really want to work with the brand that's innovative, right there I can determine because they have patents that I'm going to buy the innovative company. Why would I want to buy the innovative company? It's probably going to be a more innovative product than someone who's just knocking it off or copying it because uh, that company will probably continue to innovate. And which mentions why we get to the next part, which is copycat deterrence. When you get provisionals even, you can then label your product as patent pending. I have a lot of companies that have recognized the strength of patent pending because copy co companies won't copy them because of it. We mentioned the brand, but there's a great PR value in intellectual property. Um, one of the early, you know, uh, companies that really recognized this was the Square Company by Jack Dorsey, where they had, you know, this technology financial services where you plug something onto your phone and now it's wireless to your phone. And they devised an IP management strategy to help them very early on. So they Square would file early and fast patents covering all sorts of various functions of the reader. And those patents were allowed for all sorts of things for passive identification of, of, of the devices, et cetera. And by securing those assets, they claimed it was absolutely paramount to their large valuation and success. So there are so many stories that are out there whereby when you understand companies that are really growing, many times underneath that could be the intellectual property strategy. Uh, IP valuation is also a cornerstone of goodwill. We mentioned this a little bit. Goodwill is by definition the difference between the normal value of a company, which is two to three X revenue versus what the acquiring company will pay. It has always been interesting to me to work in the early stage companies that if somebody wants to buy a company, just like you want to buy a car, there's a Kelly blue book or whatever to look at the value of used cars. Uh, you know, I've got the same car, but mine has air conditioning and a stereo and yours doesn't. And, and therefore I, I can adjust the price, right? By understanding this same with real estate. Well, when companies go to acquire companies, there are a lot of deals that are looked at in terms of what the what the companies pay for companies like the ones they want to buy. And they're published, a lot of them. Two, three X revenue is basically where it is, or 10, 15 X EBITDA. But then you'll see the comp some companies have paid a tremendous more money than two or three X revenue. So the difference between sort of the normal value of the company like that and the value that's paid is called goodwill. If you look inside of goodwill, what makes that up? Well, brand makes that up. 
but intellectual property makes that up. So the more companies that have the, the, the more patents a company has, the easier it is to show that the innovation is a bigger part of goodwill. Finally, one of the things about investors is they do due, due, due diligence. One of the key two diligence milestones is how you IP protected. Basically, they're hoping that your company can fight back if somebody copies you, but they also want to make sure that you won't be sued. And if you have your own IP on your own product, chances are you've looked at that. So coming up, we're going to talk about how IP can act as a really magnet for investment, distinguishing the companies and startups that are patent savvy from others. We're going to explore how IP stories help that. And we're going to show how IP can help forge powerful partnerships. And we're also going to see how why IP uh, not only can do all that, but it's really a game changer for your company in the market for raising value, as we just mentioned, and how it signals long-term growth. So now we're going to move to topic number five, which is using intellectual property as a catalyst for further investment. Uh, in order to put this podcast together, I, I, I know a bunch of things in my industry here in intellectual property, but I decided to do a little bit more searching. And one of the things I found was a new study published by EPO.org, which basically talks about that startups with patents and trademarks have a 10 times more successful uh, to, to gather funding. That That's a new study in 2023. That's amazing. So if you're an investor, uh, like other investors, you want to be investing the way other investors are, and the other investors think that intellectual property is really important, so they'll invest in that versus ones that aren't. If you're a CEO or a CFO trying to raise money, this study should wake you up. That, By the way, sort of think about it. I've raised money, and I've started five companies myself and been the CEO, and raising money is a big event. And... One of the things that I found is that, you know, there's a lot of work in raising money, and you sit at the edge of the, the other edge of the bed every night, you know, wondering if and wondering when that money's going to come in. I mean, when the money comes in, that's when the work begins. But there's a lot of stress to get the money in. So, let's just say that you want to put together a program to make sure you can hedge your bet and get IP. So the CFO and the CEO talk with the board, and they're going to raise money. If they had a conversation that went like this, but well, we don't have any patents, but we've heard if we had patents, we could really raise the probability of us raising money. So we're trying to raise four million bucks. So someone says, well, do you think we can get patents? We don't know. Well, in that discussion, you know, advisors like myself could take a look at the company and say, well, certainly you could probably get 10 or 15 patents or whatever. Well, that question's answered. Then the question would be, well, how much? Well, Filing 10 or 15, you know, patents or provisionals is a couple hundred grand. So now the question is, we want to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on essentially investing in intellectual property. Well, the ROI is in a calculator that the couple hundred grand to develop these patents, so whatever it's going to cost, could cost more, could cost less, um, would really be the reason why you could get the investment. And not only that, but it could actually be the reason why the valuation is going to be higher. So the ROI on this is incredibly high. But let's go back to that board CFO CEO discussion. If you don't know patents are going to provide that kind of leverage, you wouldn't have that discussion. If you didn't bring in an expert to help you figure out whether or not there could be intellectual property, you might be thinking, well, that's for other companies. We don't have IP. Pretty crazy. One of the things is that 
we can increase the funding for patent startups as well. Uh, so it's not only getting the money in and changing the valuation, but sometimes it's even more money available. So a, re a recent uh, article from PitchBook, which is a company that allows companies to sort of in a dot-com way put their business plan together and raise money you know, through their platform, uh, they've suggested as well all sorts of data as to why intellectual property helps leverage the company to get it faster, get better valuation, et cetera. Mentioned earlier that intellectual property is a, an indicator of long-term growth, uh, and that certainly is true. Uh, strong portfolios in a company really will signal long-term growth and sustainability. Uh, I did a little digging to find out that 29% uh, of all European companies uh, have uh, startups, have IP patents. So that's a huge amount. Once again, if you're an investor thinking about what the investment should be, intellectual property should be part of it if you want to be at the highest level of value. And if you're a CEO, CFO, or board, you should recognize that intellectual property really should be in your DNA if it's not. One of the things we mentioned before is that this helps to enhance companies' valuation. You see, once we could do evaluation, if you have patents, uh, trade secrets, and enable publications, and we can do evaluation, then the question is we have an economic dollar value that the CFO can use. Now, they might not put it in their asset you know, balance sheet uh, list, but they at least have an understanding of what they know it is. So when they're making financial decisions, they can always bring that up. It's kind of like knowing, for instance, you're making decisions as a, as a younger person in life that you're going to be buying a house or buying some property. But it's also knowing that maybe your your parents or grandparents have said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna put you in our will and we're gonna make sure you know down the road you can have something. It, so if I have that asset out there in my thinking, I may take a little bit more risk. So it's a wonderful thing with intellectual property to understand the valuation to then roll that economic dollar value into your company. But one of the things I learned and one of the services we have. Uh, is what we call an IP story. I'd learned this the hard way for for a number of years working with early stage companies to help them get IP. And then the investor wouldn't look at the IP. I mean, they or they 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 would send it to a patent attorney doing diligence. And I was like, you know, someone's got to tell a really good story about the value of this stuff. So we developed a way to tell the IP story. So if you have IP and you want to be a CEO or CFO to get this value I've been talking about for the last uh, in numbers of minutes in this podcast, an IP story would be a way to do that, that you essentially connect your business market, product, technology, and invention to your IP. So to actually show how the IP connects to your business, connects to your market, connects to your products, et cetera. And telling a great and fact-filled story to investors will really help them understand the value of your IP and an IP valuation as well. One of the things is that potential IP can be used as the value of the raise. And what do I mean by that? Well, patents on the books that are issued, that's good. Patents that are applied for, that's good. I mentioned provisionals. You know, that provisionals means that you're maybe going to get patents. That's good. It's even better if you have some of the provisionals that have gotten converted to patents and have issued. So now there's a track record of patent issuance on provisionals. We once did a deal for a couple hundred million dollars whereby we had the company had some issued patents. So we immediately filed a number of provisionals to up the number. And then we were asked in the deal, in an M&A, 
you know, well, those are only, you know, provisionals and we're able to show the track record that 88% of this company's conversion from provisionals to patents and accepting with the patent office was the reason why they should look at these provisionals as really being patents. And that helped uh, support our valuation. So it could be potential value. But here's another thing about potential value. And we have done this as well. So the company's doing a raise that we have some patents, but we'll go do and do an IP extraction and we'll extract out 50, 100, 200 inventions, literally titles and abstracts, all sorts of other parameters. And then we can plot it and put it in some charts and graphs. And we can literally show the investor that this company has several hundred potential inventions to proceed on. So they might have a half a dozen patents. They might have a half a dozen provisionals, but they have 200 ideas that are the feedstock for the next round of innovation. If you're an early stage company and you don't have a list of all your potential ideas, you are leaving so much value on the table to discussions with anybody. And this is a whole nother reason you'd want to do this anyway, to keep track of your inventions for NDAs and things like that. IP can be used to attract strategic partners. I mentioned this guy who was negotiating a deal and he brought the binders. Well, when you have intellectual property, you can sit at the table and know that you own this stuff uh, and that you can't be shopping around because you're, you're the company that owns the patents. Now, I would admit, being an expert in this field for a bunch of years, some companies really don't care about patents. They say, sue me. And I get that. But so many more of the companies really do look at intellectual property and worry about whether they'll get sued. It can be very material to do a deal with a company whereby you have previously looked at another company that had the patents and showed you. You might actually have some willful, willfulness there. So the idea is that at least most companies would treat the intellectual property as respect. And therefore, it could be a great tool for attracting strategic investors. We mentioned that it can be enhanced revenue stream through licensing. We mentioned that it can bring in cash through asset-based loans. Uh, but there's other ways to get revenue out of, out of the uh, patents. A study that we have access to, a private study, uh, showed that a company that has patents and has products, and they have a lot of products, that the company, the, the products that were patent protected had a 34% higher gross margin than the patents, than the products that didn't have patents. So there's a real revenue generation that's almost invisible. If you have patents, it's chances are that more companies are buying your product, but also that you can charge a higher price for it. Here's a little flag, though. If you have patents on a product and your product is costing the same as the products that are out there, something's wrong. Because you're not pricing the value of your IP. Lastly, you mentioned long-term investment security. Uh, look, the economic weather goes up and down around uh, businesses, you know, over, over sometimes six-month cycles. But, you know, there are up and down cycles. And so right now we're seeing a lot of companies trying to get intellectual property as a protectionist mechanism. Uh, there's a lot of companies that are trying to reshore into the U.S. Companies, uh, you know, through COVID, we recognize the supply chain problems and all the rest. So there's a lot of companies now that are building in the United States or building in their own home country. And so intellectual property is being used as the way, because intellectual property is a country thing, right? Patents in the U.S. only protect products in the U.S. So when you're reshoring, uh, and you're bringing products back, well, so you want to make yourself adding patents on top of your reshoring strategy is a double way to be extra protected. 
And so with the way the world is today, uh, you, you know, on edge in many ways politically and and and, and with militaries and so on, uh, right now there's a sort of zeitgeist that intellectual property is something that we want to get because we want to have this long-term protection. Let's go to the last topic. Uh, IP's impact on mergers and acquisitions. Look, at the end of the day, investors invest in your company, but they want to get out, right? They put their money in because they want to get multiple of their money out. Uh, so how do they get out? Well, they can get out if the company makes so much money on its products and profit that it can buy the investors out. There's usually, you know, we'll pay you 3x what you gave us with an interest rate of 8%. You know, that would be the coupon, right? So at some point when you can do that, you can just buy out your investor. Uh, some of the deals don't have that. Uh, some some of the deals have that I, I'll get my 3x back or 4x back with some interest rate. But if you happen to be acquired, we get our pro rata rate of, of stock. So if they own 20% of the company, and the company goes being sold for $2 billion, they'll get the 20% of the of the $2 billion or $400 million versus the 3x that they invested with the coupon. So investors want their money back. So wouldn't it make sense if you're an investor to make sure that you can do what you could do to get the highest value out in an M&A? So if we look at the data, we're talking about this very high level of, 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 a, of value. So if we look at the a plot of the average M&A value against the numbers of patents and the value, and then create a curve. So let's just say I'm talking about cybersecurity companies. And I, I look up that this company was bought for $28 million. And then I go research how many patents they have, and they have two. There's another company that was bought for $11 million, didn't have any patents. So I'll put that as a zero at $11 million. Put a data point there. And then here's a company that was bought for $78 million and had seven patents. So I start putting dots on this curve, on this chart of M&A value versus number of patents. In most industries, we've seen a hockey stick at around 14 to 15 patents. Why is that? Well, it, it's hard to say. I mean, because we work on both sides of deals for large companies and small companies. And I don't really have hard, hard evidence. But I could tell you subjectively, in large companies, when they're trying to buy a small company, if it has one or two patents, they'll have experts like me, for instance, or my team, or other patent experts to see if they can invent around your patents. If they can invent around it, they won't put much stock in those patents. On the other hand, when I've done this for large companies where I invent around a patent for them, and then I land on another patent in the portfolio, it's harder to invent around a portfolio of 15 patents. Also, it's harder to recognize that a company that has 15 patents is very likely to have not only patents covering their product, but they may have the patents covering the customer's use of the product or the the or the vendor's supply of those components of the product. So if you have a lot of patents, chances are you're covering a larger value chain. So I could sit here and talk on, at, at a long time as there are many reasons why the M&A value would go up. But I'm just saying here that this is an influential factor in an M&A. And there's a lot of notable examples here. I was just looking up uh, the Boston Scientific uh, just purchased uh, uh, Benetti for a huge amount of money in multiple billions a very solid intellectual property background. So you can look up and actually start building that curve for yourself in your own industry. One of the things about intellectual property is it gives you the ability to do strategic acquisition correctly. So let's just say that you're a large company and you want to buy a company in a particular market because you don't have the innovation. Maybe 
you know, you're a company like Philips and, you know, the Apple Watch has come out and you don't have any companies that are making, you know, watches that have sensors on them or something. And so you want to do acquisitions. So how are you going to go find the companies you're going to acquire? Well, you could start talking to outsiders and experts and run around and start doing some lookup on the internet. Believe it or not, some companies, a lot of the big ones, will just do a patent search and they'll find out which companies have patents. And, and that gives them kind of the, the pecking list to say who's quality or not, without even visiting you. So if you don't have patents, they won't find you. It's that simple. Uh, by the way, if you're a small company with small revenues, but have a really great patent position, you might be topping their list versus some company that has more revenues, but no patent position. So it makes so much sense for a strategic acquisition to have intellectual property. One of the things that's well known about IP patents is it's exclusive right. So it gives you a competitive advantage to stop others from making, using, and selling. So this means that if you have intellectual property, by definition, you should be gaining a competitive advantage. Large companies understand this. You might not have the brand, but you certainly have the ability to stop others from copying you. Uh, there's a story uh, sort of from folklore for me of a company called Dr. John's Toothbrush who invented the rotary toothbrush. And as the story goes, about, uh, I've yet to verify this you know, by, uh, I've heard it a lot of times, but I've never re researched it. But as he developed the rotary toothbrush, he got a lot of patents on the rotary toothbrush as well. And he was really struggling to get his business revenues high in the tens of millions. So Procter & Gamble bought him because a, a year later, that same device was selling in the hundreds of millions, if not billions, because the brand of Procter & Gamble, right? It's in every supermarket. So sometimes small companies have no ability to get to the market because they just don't have the brand. Well, intellectual property now gives you the ability to talk to that large brand company because they can't use their brand to expand the market if they don't have the patents. So sometimes large companies will buy your company just for your patents and never tell you that. And we've talked about IP and deal negotiation, but it certainly is a deal exposure, particularly the other side who's considering your patents because when you, have, when you bring patents to the table, basically what you're saying is, if you use my patents when I'm doing a deal with me, you could get sued. Uh, one of the things about IP as well is that it's uh, outside of the legal protection for market exclusivity is that this idea of legal protection of a market is a strange paradigm, right? So if I go to market, it's me boxing against you and who's going to be the best boxer? Who's going to get the market? Who's going to have the best product? Who's going to get there fastest? Who's going to do it the cheapest, right? Intellectual property levels that off. No, who's not going to be the cheapest? Who's not going to be you know, the first product to market, you got the first patent. And therefore, it's a great level illegally in the market. Uh, finally, we not talk about innovation and product development and how they're related. Uh, one of the nice things about intellectual property is that patents are created by inventors. Okay. So inventors are creating the patents. If you have patents, that means you have inventors. If you have inventors, it means that you have a special person or two or group that's innovating. So if I was to look at innovation and say, I have two companies, which one is more innovative? They have the same types of products, but one has patents. By definition, that one has inventors that are getting patents, and that is done by an independent third-party examiner. So I would start thinking that maybe the company that has patents are more innovative. Finally, the last point I'll make about this is that intellectual property is Good for all these reasons for M&A. It's good for generating revenue and all the rest. 
but it's really a long-term strategy to have your firm get IP and have it expand markets, generate valuation, get set up for M&A. It can be used so multifaceted to raise the value in companies. Well, let's wrap up. In topic number one, we talked about the introduction. We talked about how IP plays a critical role. We discussed what patents are, what trade secrets are, what enabled publications are. We talked about how it can influence all sorts of things like debt strategy, a brand, et cetera. And we talked about how it was multifaceted. In topic number two, we talked about how IP is used in the business development and market expansion. We talked about all sorts of things. We talked about how you know, it was crucial to help you expand in a market. We even talked about paper patents, where you can get the patent well before the product goes out. We talked about how you could use it to generate licensing. We talked about whether you could use it to help you do a spin-out, or even how to set it up for a spin-in. We talked about it being a very powerful tool for brand recognition and for differentiation. In topic number three, we talked about how IP can be used financially in financial engineering and in risk management. We talked about specifically how this could be used in enhancing loans, our ability to lower risk by getting a loan when we need it. We also talked about how it could change the rates of the term of the collateral, what the interest rates was, you know, what the tranches of money in. We talked about how IP through investment in, in, in debt can give you improved cash flow. But we also talked about how IP can influence stock price. Uh, or how IP with an investor where they could buy more stock based upon, you know, the IP that maybe what they want is the stock at a certain price, but they also want to hedge their bet by getting the patents if you don't achieve a certain milestone. So a very multifaceted tool for financial engineering. In topic number four, we went straight at this idea of valuation. First thing off the chopping block is uh, if you don't know, the, if you have IP and you don't know what the value is, and that's really too bad. And unfortunately, there's, a, there's an expertise to do this valuation. But what does this enhancing the company's value mean? Well, we talked about all these studies, right? That you're more likely to raise money. 10x more likely. You have this plot of the M&A curve. 10 or 15 patents and the value goes up from 2 or 3x uh, revenues to 10x, 20x, 30x revenue. We talked about how IP could contribute to the goodwill. So there's all sorts of ways we can use patents uh, trade secrets and enable publications to enhance the value of the IP of the company. One of the things we talked about at topic number five, and we discussed, was how IP could be the catalyst for investors. Basically, developing the IP is one thing, but crafting a well-thought-out IP story is another to actually convince the investor that the IP is valuable. And so it can be a catalyst because many times uh, you have IP being very strategic to help with partnerships, and those partnerships might be the reason why you can raise money. Sometimes you're raising money because the partnership is going to start. So IP we can use for a catalyst to further the investment all the time. Look, if you look at some of the data, you sort of recognize, you know, if I have a whole bunch of startups, but you have a higher likelihood to raise money as a startup with patents, of course, patents would be a startup that would be a catalyst. And finally, in topic number six, we kind of ended with talking about the direct impact of intellectual property on mergers and acquisitions. We, we gave you some examples of that and talked about how it's really a pivotal factor when the acquirer is looking at, 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 at buying you, that they can't shop you around. Or even, we even talked about how they might even find you through patent searches if you have patents. If you don't have patents, they're not going to find you. And we talked about this market exclusivity, right? It's a, there's a, this legal protection to the market once you have patents. And we also talked about you know how, at the end of the day, how a brand could really leverage itself in its market by buying your company. 
and they can ultra you know raise their their value in that market if your company has patents that they're going to buy because small companies can't spend a lot of money suing you know companies large companies can afford to do that so if you're a small company they buy your company because you have patents they can leverage your patents in a way that you could never leverage it because they have money to go through litigation well so that's that's it um if you uh like what you heard please subscribe and hit the like uh, and please come join us uh, with our blog and Invent Anything and a new series uh, podcast on inventors at work. John Cronin, Invent Anything.